Oh, it's August. This episode is going up in August. Yeah. That's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, it's also, well, it's because um, in the notes, I, I have that we're going to talk about how hot it's been in LA and also in other places. Um, like, geez, it's so, it's been so hot it's in New York. It's insanely hot, yeah. Um, but I think it'll it's still so be hot in August. Oh, no, I believe it. But it's so weird that the first time we're talking about how hot it is is in August as opposed to July or even June. It like just got hot out of nowhere. Yeah. Like last week. Insanely hot. Uh, I'm trying to think about is there, is there anything else that we want to talk about with hot weather? Well, <laughs> no, I think it's just like insanely hot where I um, I'm someone who likes to wear sweaters all the time, even in like mm. 90 degree weather. And I have like sweaters specifically to wear during 90 degree weather where it's just not as thick. I know it's insanely hot because I can't wear those sweaters during the summertime. And I like, mm. I'm sweating profusely on it. I don't know if you've noticed on our morning calls where I kind of want to dip out a little early because I want to go change out of my sweater because I realize how hot it's getting. You could just not wear a sweater. What you? What, <laughs> what about like a long sleeve or like something that's like a, like a baseball tee? It's, uh, kind of like, I, don't, I like. What is it about sweaters specifically? Because it makes me feel so cozy and as if I'm still in bed. And that's why I really like wearing sweaters. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm always in like... A t-shirt and shorts mm. so <laughs> i'm always uh actually right now i have a blanket at my feet because i'm like the air conditioning is a little cold so i just want something for my so my toes no i just i love being in a in a sweater i bought an udi because i love being in sweaters that much which is like those you know blanket sweaters essentially mm-hmm. yeah this is just a big poncho yeah. made out of a, a blanket yeah yeah that's like that's exactly i love wearing that it's my favorite <laughs> I think it's been a little bit since we've talked about like how Studio DBJ has been doing. Probably since May, since our break episode. Mm-hmm. It's been going pretty well. We're do- making like a lot of big pivots mm-hmm. uh, for the second half of the year. So it's exciting, but also a little stressful, a little scary. Yeah. No, I think I was telling you um, how our new, our new financial goal, I think is the first time I've been like, ooh, you know, because... Our initial goal definitely was like, oh, we could do it. And then this new one, I was like, you know, I'm a little scared. I'm excited, but I'm like, I'm also like a little scared because I was like, this sounds like a lot harder than the first goal where we're like, oh, we just have to quote for like longer term projects or like bigger projects or something like that. We're like, Mm -hmm. okay, we got that. This one is definitely like, I think has to be more strategic. That's Mm -hmm. That's the scary part for me. And then Gina and I both have had like a renewed interest in our social media platforms. So trying to make sure that we are actually posting stuff and actually engaging with people. So uh, we've started a TikTok. We haven't, as of right now, when we're recording this, put up anything yet. But if you wanted to look for it, it's Studio DBJ on TikTok. Mm -hmm. For this episode, because of the hot weather, because we are stressed out Loki um and because the last episode was kind of more intense talking about like loving your job and what it means to like be employed and all All that stuff stuff, we wanted to kind of keep this one a little bit lighter so today we're going to be talking about what we think is overrated and underrated in design Uh, I'm Calvin and I'm Jean and this is 27 a podcast about growing up
I guess you should start it because I'm gonna talk first about Spencer. Yeah, I'll be like, so Calvin, how? What do you think? Oh wait, oh. sorry. <laughs> let me. I forgot. Let me. Let me lay down the 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 rules. Uh, the rule. <laughs> the rules are so easy, but it's just you know, like you all have seen. I, oh, I forget what YouTube channel does it. They like get celebrities or uh, musicians to like talk about what they think is overrated and underrated. But pretty much, we're just gonna talk about a bunch of things related to design, um, whether it's actually like industry stuff or just stereotypes and things about the typical designer, quote unquote, and talking about whether we think that they are overrated, meaning that they have too much, they take up yeah. too much space and for no reason, or they're underrated, meaning that they deserve more attention and deserve to be respected more than they are currently. So Calvin, um, our first topic is spec work. How do you feel about that? Mm. So I guess as a definition for people, spec work is getting asked to do work for free mm -hmm. as a it's like speculative work mm -hmm. so that you can tell whether somebody has the skills to do something i think spec work is overrated i don't think it's overrated in that it people like it too much but i think it's overrated as in i don't like it at all <laughs> i think it's bad like overrated um people ask for spec work a lot mm -hmm. and i think that it's pretty difficult to especially when you're in the process of applying for jobs to have somebody ask you to do a specific task and then asking you to take additional time in addition to interviews, uh, resumes, cover letter, a portfolio presentation, mm -hmm. all of that to also like spend an hour, maybe half of a day mm -hmm. doing spec work design so that they can verify you <laughs> as opposed to taking your portfolio at its word. Mm -hmm. So I think spec work is not my favorite thing yeah, and I tend to just place more, like if I'm gonna be reviewing somebody as a designer, I would rather look specifically at what they do and what they present mm -hmm. and ask them as opposed to like making them do homework. I would say that it's underrated, but actually really depending on the situation, but primarily I think it's underrated in that one, it's kind of like the scapegoat everyone uses to shit on mm. things sometimes especially yeah, this is this yeah. is a surprising development for me because gene maybe like three two years ago mm -hmm. three years ago had gone on big tirades to me about spec work yeah. being bad so this is a new development yeah and now i think it's kind of like a two-way relationship like you don't have to do it if you don't want to do it but if you want to do it pick the ones you are game for because I realized that for Studio DBJ, our start was definitely spec work in terms of like, I would find people that I liked or that I wanted to work with and like put together something real quick to be like, hey, I got the portfolio to do all the work, but like, I understand you. So you should work with me because I understand you, which is ultimately spec work. And in some ways, like you can do spec work for yourself. You don't have to do it for other clients or other companies because the only way to get projects that you want to get hired for are showing the projects that you actually want to do. I think if you kind of think about it like, oh, these are your personal passion projects that you actually do want to use them for, that's totally a-okay. And especially if you have to do spec work for a company and you're like, okay, I really want to work for so-and-so, part of the interview process is spec work. Just ask them like, okay, if I do spec work, can we have something that, say, that says I can show this in my portfolio then? right? That mm. is not going to be undercover or hidden. And I think there's like this weird line of people thinking that if you do spec work, they're going to steal your idea. 
someone told me something which is really funny which is like you're not that special <laughs> you know and it was like okay your ideas are not always going to be taken but which is why if you do have to do spec work it's a two-way relationship and just ask for a contract on like you know i'm the artist i do get to also have ownership over this and all that good stuff mm-hmm. i think the the difference in the way that we see it is just like a, it's a matter of control mm-hmm. about who has the control mm-hmm. when you send out i wouldn't even call it spec work to a client i would say it's more like like complimentary early concepts to a client when you do that it's you hold all the power Mm -hmm. because it's you know you did it out of your own volition Mm -hmm. and you have the rights to it Mm -hmm. but i always feel yeah like you said it's iffy when a employer asks you to do it and when it's not like very clear who has any ownership of what so it's like actually and also when you send out your spec work to be reviewed when you export your pdf in design or in, I think in any PDF program, you can put a password on that shit. So like, mm. if you're really protective of it and you send out spec work, you can put a specific password for only folks to see it, you know? Um, and I think you could also limit who gets access to it. So there's definitely ways to protect your spec work, but you just gotta, it's like, again, a two-way relationship. You just gotta know what you gotta do. I've heard it asked before that if you want sort of like what you were saying where you can negotiate a contract i've heard advice online saying that you can also either tell people that you will be billing for the spec work that you're doing mm-hmm. or just send an invoice afterwards mm-hmm. um sending an invoice without letting them know is pretty shady but yeah I think it's it's something that you can bring up if it is something that is really important to you if it's if you don't really care about yeah. whoever you're applying too and you're like you know what if i don't get this Mm -hmm. at least i got paid for it Mm -hmm. you can you know ask them if they would be able to pay you for the the work that you're doing and i think even uh, the way to phrase that instead of saying like oh i will be billing for it just be like oh so what's your budget that i should keep in mind for spec work mm -hmm. and then that's when they're like oh instead of like i will be invoicing you just just move forward with the idea that you will be getting paid so just ask mm -hmm. what the budget is instead of like is it okay that i invoice you the same vein Uh, talking about Fiverr. Um, So spec work is the idea of doing work for free for a client who's asking to test your skills Mm -hmm. or, you know, something else. Fiverr is an online service where you can list your skills for sale. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it has a bit of a bad rap with the design community Mm -hmm. because of both international and then also undervalued design Mm -hmm. for like doing logos or doing website designs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will list logos on Fiverr for like less than a hundred dollars or websites for less than three hundred dollars so it can kind of be difficult to compete as a designer Mm -hmm. um i guess that's kind of the reasons why i would kind of consider fiverr overrated Mm -hmm. um again not overrated because it's good but overrated because it is not great to the design community Mm -hmm. in that way but i know gene has a different opinion about this now yeah it's totally changed from uh before i first started again which i think fiverr is underrated it's a really good starting ground, I think, for people and just trying to get their feet wet in somewhat of a protective way. And it's a good way to meet folks in their international community because like, it's not just for clients to reach out to designers. Like, You can also reach out to other folks in Fiverr to get to know them more, and especially their services and how they run their business and everything. And it's like you're not supposed to make all your money on Fiverr. It's a really great starting ground for you to just go with And it's a really great place for especially clients who don't have a big budget, because I think most of the time designers forget that clients don't know this world. And it's like a very safe space for them to go in with the I actually don't know how much this is supposed to cost. So I I might have a thousand dollars or I might have thirty five dollars. 
but I want to understand how to do something. And most of the time they might either, you know, go with something first that they kind of love and then they're ready to graduate to a different designer outside of Fiverr when they understand how to do it more. Or you can like get them to trust you and then work your way in a relationship that will get them to pay you more, you know? So I think that's why Fiverr's underrated. And a lot of people just kind of shit on it now. And I was like, oh, that's so sad. Cause then the, that's a whole community that we're shitting on. I will say, I, I think that <laughs> this this is the first like strong disagree that I'm gonna have with oh, you. Oh, go for it. Uh, I, I think that it's still, it, uh, Fiverr's really tough because I think it still leads people to undervalue things. Mm-hmm. There's two ways that it goes, which is either you get something, you go for Fiverr and then you get something good mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, good design is cheap. Yeah. Um, and then there's the other way, which is you go to Fiverr and then you pay not a lot and then you get something bad yeah. and then you're like, oh, well, why did I, like, why should I even spend all this money if, you know, sometimes it's going to turn out bad. Mm-hmm. I think that what the trap of Fiverr is, in my opinion, is it is a transactional approach mm-hmm. to design. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people today see design as very collaborative mm-hmm. and see design as something that, especially with like the rise of design thinking mm-hmm. in schools, that there's this trend towards design is supposed to solve a problem. Yeah. The way that Fiverr approaches it, I feel like doesn't, it's not conducive to like a, a thoughtful design process. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's, it's just, it's just kind of rough. I think we're very lucky that the clients that we work with want a collaborative approach. And I think in a certain way, the level of design we get to do is very highbrow in the general world, right? Where there are these very fun brand identities, where there are these fun implementations of things and like our clients want to talk to us. And then in like the bigger real world, you know, out of California, out of the LA circle, like design is a service for a lot of people not everyone will be able to get to that level of high rail design so that's why i think like fiverr is a good starting ground for someone to eventually get to high brow but i do i also feel you on the whole like it does undermine valuing design because some people feel that they have to compete with folks in a different country where their currency is so different right and they're like okay i can charge a five us dollars for design because that's in my country that's a completely different rate that could be my whole week you know my main worry is that I know that there are two markets. There's mm-hmm. like the transactional market mm-hmm. and then there's the boutique, I guess, mm-hmm. boutique design market. But as like the prices of Fiverr become too competitive, it uh... like moves people away from being in a boutique market mm-hmm. and just saying like, well, I can just do this instead. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are like, obviously there's, you know, people in California, like big startups who are very definitely just going to go for boutique design. Mm-hmm. There are people who are obviously like, you know, doing their small restaurant, so they're just gonna go to Fiverr. Mm-hmm. But then there are all those people in the middle, and I think the more appealing Fiverr looks mm-hmm. from a price and from a like ease of uh, like from a competitive guess, yeah. market standpoint, yeah. yeah, it kind of like shifts more people towards that like undervaluing design mm-hmm. camp as opposed to like making it more of this balance where you have both that can live more equally with each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially for people who are like in the middle, like you said, like if somebody has $35 for a budget, like they're gonna go to Fiverr. Mm-hmm. But if somebody has $1,000 for a budget, they could go to like a small design studio or like a freelancer. Mm-hmm. But they also have like this pull of like, well, if I spend $70 on a logo, then I have all that money to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would rather do that. And yeah. then you kind of push those middle people yeah. more towards the Fiverr mm-hmm. camp. I see that, I see that. So that was kind of heavy. <laughs> Uh, this next one is going to be very light. 
So there's like the stereotype that designers wear all black or like artists wear all black. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? I think it's underrated now. Because <laughs> we're both victims to wearing all black now. And it's so the way that we're both wearing all black right now. Yeah. Including the hat and everything and our headphones. Oh my God. We get made fun of it so much, but actually there's just, there, there are a lot of benefits to it. You know, one, definitely comfortable, easy to pick your outfit each day. And then what I heard from a hairdresser was like, the reason why they wear dark clothes or black clothes is because when you're getting your hair cut and you're looking in the mirror, they serve as a really great background for you to be able to actually look at your hair. And I was like, wait, that's actually a very kind of great mirror effect of design where when you're presenting work, at least if you're wearing all black, less focuses on you and more focuses on the work. And so the more you make yourself invisible by just wearing all black, the better it is for your work because that's kind of what is standing out. And I guess not even from a design perspective, but from a like a style perspective, um, not that black is more stylish, but there is this trend towards internet fashion mm -hmm. and like Instagram fashion that is very outfit based and very like almost like costume mm -hmm. where you have like this is the entire look. I think that's number one detrimental to the environment, fast fashion, you know, production mm -hmm. and, you know, all that stuff, sustainability. But there's also a style component where like you can't wear that like tie dye orange tank crop top with anything else besides the matching set. Mm -hmm. It can be really nice to have not even all black, but just like a more like paired back style, mm -hmm. because then you get to have opportunities to wear individual things that can make things pop like an accessory mm -hmm. or like a, if you want to wear a Gucci belt, it's yeah. like that's going to stand out a lot more when you wear all black yeah. than it is when you wear a Gucci tracksuit yeah. with a Gucci belt. Yeah. It's like it's a lot. Also, since I have been getting more adorned with ink. Mm -hmm. It's just so much easier to wear all black because then you have I have so much color on my arm already. I was like, just just wear an all black outfit. And then there's also in addition to accessories, there's other ways to like have an interesting outfit. Mm -hmm. Wearing all black doesn't mean that you're just wearing black slacks and a black T-shirt. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can vary up your silhouette or like patterns or textures or whatever. Like there's other stuff that you could do. So mm -hmm. I, I think that it's underrated because I think people imagine it as you wear the turtleneck and the, the, <laughs> and the black jeans. And as opposed to like, you know, like tech wear can be all black mm -hmm. and goths technically wear, wear all black. Like there's a lot of personality that you can have wearing all black too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There, so, you know, we come across a struggle of like how to quote our projects and how to like tell clients what we're worth. How do you feel about the phrase value-based pricing? Value-based pricing, at least to me, sounds like we're talking about saying, I cost this much because I am worth this much. Mm -hmm. Like my work is valued at this much because it does this. Mm -hmm. I think there are people who have a leg to stand on when they do it. But I think when it comes to like younger designers, I think it's wildly overrated. Mm -hmm. I, I, agree. <laughs> I agree with you there, yeah. To like not mince words, I don't think a lot of young designers have the ability to say what they're worth because they don't have enough backing. Mm -hmm. They don't, like I said, I don't. They don't have a leg to stand on mm -hmm. in terms of that. It links your worth to an actual financial value, which is just unreasonable and unhealthy. In some ways, it inflates your ego, especially if you believe mm -hmm. you're like a really great designer and you're like, I should charge $150 or $500 per hour, and you're like, well, in industry standard 
150 to 250 is like at a high-end boutique already so if you're starting out with i'm gonna charge this much it's kind of like you know you you don't have a real sense of reality of where you're at and what i'd like to say more is like getting paid your cost of operation you know and actually breaking it down to how much does it cost to operate your business because i think that kind of determines how you can start out Um, let me ask you this how long do you think somebody needs to be at that like meeting costs Mm -hmm. that like bottom line before they can start to quote their quote-unquote worth I think when you start to understand the liability of the pricing, you're able to charge your quote unquote, what you believe you're worth. Because when you offer a, like a client, a $5,000 service or like a $10,000 service or a $500 service in somewhat way, I think the responsibility is that you're saying you're liable for $500, like an initial $500 of growth in business or five thousand dollars of growth in business just as you are responsible for them losing that amount which is why it's important to have in your contract that you are not liable for their increase or decrease of business which is also why you should get business insurance to protect you from that too (laughs) um but it like when you start to understand like okay i'm promising you five thousand dollars of value in your business and I understand what that means, you could start charging your worth. Yeah, to go even further with that, it's not just that your value as a designer comes from your creativity Mm -hmm. and your technical skill. Mm -hmm. That is part of it. But there is a lot of value that comes from understanding how people work. Mm -hmm. And that comes from experience. It also comes from like talking to people Mm -hmm. and like being in a business setting Mm -hmm. for a while Mm -hmm. because they don't just want you to do something creative and fun. They want you to do something that fits their industry mm-hmm. and fits their audience. And all that stuff doesn't come from design school. It comes from working yeah. with, you Real, know, working with clients. Yeah. The other segue to getting paid your worth of value-based pricing. I, I see the new phrasing right now in the design industry is like, are you ready to invest in your business? And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a heavy heavy phrasing there and like do you really understand what it means to ask for a client to invest in your service because that means you are promising a return of investment and like both of us said this is not like if you've been in the if you've been in the game for 30 years like this is not for you Mm -hmm. like you know what your value is worth and you know what you bring to a team and stuff um the next one i was like calvin are you team iphone or not (laughs) what are you so i do have an iphone and i've had an iphone it was my first smartphone i can't even say it's my first phone (laughs) because we're old enough we're old enough that we had other phones before we had iphones i think that iphones are neither over nor underrated i think they're kind of where they need to be i think they get a lot of hate because it's it's fun to hate Mm -hmm. on apple (laughs) for a lot of people also because iPhones are a little slow to like on the pickup for different features and Mm -hmm. stuff, but I don't know. I just, there's something about like the user experience of having an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Like it sounds monopolistic from when you like look at it as a person, not in the ecosystem, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't know why you wouldn't want your devices to coordinate with each other. And logistically, you just can't do that unless you're all under the same umbrella. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's cool. And it's a design solution and people don't agree with it and that's fine but i think it it has its place so i think it's 
rated, not over, <laughs> not under. Just it's just rated. I was looking at your notes and it said rated, and I was like, what is? How is he gonna tie that in? Yeah. Rated. Well, because we're, we haven't talked about it so far, but other ones we say it's both over and under because I think there's like two avenues <laughs> to it. But I think for iPhones, it's just like. It's just right where it needs to be. Yeah. I think it's overrated because I was never really team iPhone. I was team Blackberry. I forgot what mm. happened. You know, actually, what I was team team Razer. Do you remember that? The Crazer or Crazer? The cra- I had the skinny one. Um, but I think iPhones are overrated because they consistently make problems that don't exist sometimes, and then solve them, and then make you pay for them again, which is it's so annoying. Like, because I think I do a very good job on taking care of my phone, and I'll be able to keep my phone for many years, and then out of nowhere, the phone just stops working because the phone no longer, like the actual phone, doesn't can't operate with the new iOS, and it's like, well, this wasn't my problem. This was your problem. You made me have this problem, so you need to be responsible for it, and you need to get me a new phone. I think Apple needs to have that into their insurance policy or something into that, like, okay, if we didn't cause a problem, like, you're allowed to get a new phone because it's ridiculous that I have to spend over a thousand dollars to get a new phone for taking care of my phone, and then I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> That's why I think it's so overrated. But you, <laughs> you did get something. You got an extra two or three years out of your phone like you uh, you, know, you got something out of you'd have to spend that thousand dollars earlier i was like I so, <laughs> but i'm like if if there i could i could have kept my phone for so much longer and continued using it if they didn't consistently like update the phone so that like i couldn't use the software that that is not uh, i will defending <laughs> apple uh, that is not apple's problem that's tech that's tech culture's problem so like if you you would have the same problem if you were with Samsung, like so. it's not that. <laughs> well, I don't have a Samsung phone to pinpoint the problem to. I have an iPhone to pinpoint. Warn, uh, let, letting the audience know for transparency <laughs> that Jean, before she had her iPhone 10 that she has right now, 10s. All right, 10. I don't know. I have this one. Is it 11 now? Oh, oh, you have the you have the uh, 12 then. 12, okay. But you, oh no no, 11 11 Pro. But you had. An X for the longest time, and then the iPhone 5 for the longest time. There you go. Yeah. So that's what she's talking about. She had a yeah. 5 from, which came out in like 20... I had a 5S. 2014, yeah. 2015? I think so, yeah. And then had it until 2019. Yeah, so that's five so. years. Yeah. That's twice as long as most people have their phones. So that's what you, that's, yeah. that's what you gain. Yeah. You, you didn't have to spend $1,000 in the middle, so... Uh, we we've been talking about it an increasing amount as the as the podcast goes on. So TikTok overrated, underrated. <laughs> it's totally underrated now. A hundred percent. I I I like cringe at the days where I was a, a TikTok denier. I, I stand by being a musically denier because musically was like the predecessor to TikTok. Mm-hmm. I will stand by that. Mm-hmm. But TikTok, I was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> about, me too. About her. Totally. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um... <laughs> I like have started editing a few videos in TikTok. I'm like, wait, this is this is really fun. It's kind of frustrating to try to uh, get things to time perfectly because my fingers are can only touch so much on the screen, you know, before it's exact. But I think it's totally fun. The only thing is, I think there's going to be a reckoning at some point. I don't know when it's going to happen uh, because TikTok, similar to YouTube, is like so democratized of a platform. Mm-hmm. But it will not be like ever considered a full democracy because of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder when the big 
TikTok algorithm discourse is going to happen because it hasn't really happened yet. Yeah, People are like, oh, I'm on this side yeah. of TikTok. I'm on this side of TikTok. But not nobody's really talking about algorithms yet. And I think that that's going to be a big conversation later. Yeah. But I think that like as a platform, it's so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say welcoming because I think there is <laughs> a lot of a lot of negativity on TikTok. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's very accessible. It's very easy to use mm -hmm. and i don't know i think it's it's just like a, a great place to like yeah. connect and it's a great place to just like i don't know like to just like know what's going on around in the world and people's lives and like to quickly mm -hmm. learn things or quickly like just get an idea which i think is really fun mm -hmm. um i think it's the best way to feel inspired because you're just consistently scrolling through so many things versus mm -hmm. like having to look for inspiration it's very activating is the best way to say it Gene and I are at a weird generational, intergenerational split mm -hmm. where half of the people our age and like in our circles do not know anything about TikTok mm -hmm. and do not engage with TikTok in any sense of the, in any sense. And then half of our cohort love it. Mm -hmm. It's always weird to me when I'm like, oh, I saw this TikTok to a friend and they're like, oh, you're on TikTok? Like, <laughs> wait, like, why aren't you? And why are you saying it like that? Mm -hmm. It's like, because I think we it's have, a weird, it's a weird moment. We had like a conversation where I realized like we're both millennial, but you lean towards Gen Z and millennial and I'm leaning towards boomer and millennial, which makes me so sad sometimes. I'm like, Argh. well, there's a whole generation between the Gen X. Yeah, there you the go. one between. Them. Yeah. And then I'm just kind of like, I want to like, I want to relate. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to, you know, swing on this way. And I feel like some of the things on my TikTok are very like millennial where I was thinking, you know what? Gen Zers don't care the fact that we have side bangs or part our hair in the middle or like the fact that we wear skinny jeans. I was like, only millennials care about that. I was like, oh God, I can't believe I ever made a big deal about that. <laughs> I do wear baggy pants now though, because I looked at myself in skinny jeans. I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time. <laughs> um, I'm like, we've been having a couple fun topics of TikTok and iPhones and wearing all black. But the biggest one actually is how do you feel about being an art director? Since that, like, since a lot of folks, I think when they come to us, especially when they interview with us, they, they aspire to be an art director. And I was definitely in that camp. The disclaimer is that I was in um, engineering. So I'm not like super plugged into design like firsthand, but I feel like maybe seven years ago mm -hmm. people were very like i want to be a senior designer and then now everybody is like i want to be an art director mm -hmm. and part of me feels like it's just like good marketing mm -hmm. like art director sounds cool it sounds much better than senior designer but i think it's i think art direction is overrated unless it's what you like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean no, i feel you on that um because some people really like the technical process of designing mm -hmm and some people don't. And if you don't like the technical process of designing, then maybe like being an art director, creative director, marketing director, mm -hmm. that's like kind of your thing. But if you like like drawing, you don't want to be an art yeah. director. <laughs> <laughs> I think being an art director is definitely overrated. I think it's because like when you graduate, you don't really know what positions there are in design unless you're mm -hmm. teacher, guidance counselor, or someone has really directed you down. These are the open positions in design but I think also because design doesn't know what the open positions are like I don't think there's anything like really like hot shot about being an art director anymore I think it used to be but now a lot of art direction gets categorized as like Pinterest mood boards 
art direction is definitely a lot more than just the art direction part and there's a whole part of management that you talked about and like the actual directing part that you talked about and it's like it's not mm. as fun i think being like a senior designer is pretty badass or like even a senior production artist that's like majorly badass because you get the mm. final thing out and looking fire and looking great and you're the one who like actually makes the magic happen you know and i think a lot mm. of people i think people should definitely aspire for those positions especially if you're like really great at illustrator programs or if you're really great at like getting things to be exactly precise you don't have to be the creator you can be the executioner and that would be amazing wrong word i just saw you laugh i was like wrong word the executioner everybody <laughs> that's the new actually that should just be someone's i think, uh, I think it'd be executor yeah i'm not 100 i think sure. but either way i don't mean like going on the guillotine you know but that should <laughs> that should definitely be someone's uh title i think if someone applied to me with the job title like executioner or executor sorry um i would definitely be like design executor okay <laughs> we should hire we should that should be our next job posting yeah. is design executioner but like you said art director has the best marketing <laughs> so you know because like you direct the art like yeah all of- <laughs> <laughs> Same with creative director. I think those two, they get conflated a lot too, I yeah. think, but they, they sound so much yeah. cooler than the other ones. Yeah. I remember when we were picking our titles and I really didn't want to say art director or and I really didn't want to say uh, creative director. And that's why it took me so long to make a business card because I was like, oh God, I don't want, I don't want to put art director on my business card. And like when I graduated school, I definitely was like, oh, I want to go down the art director route. And then I learned what it was and I was like, oh, I don't want to go down the art director route. I was mm-hmm. like, this doesn't sound fun. Art director also isn't really even a final, it's not like the last game, level yeah. of design anymore. Because you can be an associate level art director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like you don't have to be, the like art directors art director. are not like the top. Mm-hmm. So one of, I think, the strongest art directions out there in the world is inspired by Barbara Kruger. Like, mm. how do you feel about Barbara Kruger? So my main touch point with Barbara Kruger is her most like seminal work, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the? It's the Crown one. It's the Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, Your Body is a Battleground. Mm-hmm. Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are like my experiences with her. But for people who are less like into art history, Barbara Kruger is probably most known for being like the inspiration, the graphic inspiration behind Supreme mm-hmm. and similar brands, where it's this like blocky Futura font with uh, the like neon red backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I think that by, by virtue of the fact that she's only known for one thing, um, my, <laughs> me included, I only know her for one thing, uh, she is both overrated and underrated. Uh, I think you could speak more freely about her other work, mm-hmm. but to me, I think that because people don't know her for anything else, I think that she's underrated, but because the thing that she's known for is everywhere, yeah. wildly overrated. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I think it's underrated that people don't know who she is. I think it's overrated when so many other brands decide to copy her work and call it street art. Um, mm. Which it wasn't intended to be. She came through in the postmodern era and really mm. at the rise of feminism. It's funny how so many other brands, like the the one I'm referencing right now is the Supreme getting into a lawsuit with Married to the Mob. And she was just like, I don't even know why this is your problem because you didn't even make the <laughs> things, you know? And that's why I think she's underrated. I think it's overrated when like so many other, like Glossier is definitely inspired from Barbara Cougar from just the way the styling and the font is and Supreme.
supreme is and all that good stuff and when other brands try to like just copy that it's like uh you know you can be like cool and edgy in a different way and especially like this is so like anti-feminism the way that you're approaching these things and anti like supportive of artists um and for everybody who's interested uh, barbara cougar the themes of her work are really focused around like identity mm-hmm. consumerism like visions of yeah. self and like which is it's so ironic that her work about consumerism is now the like huge consumer product okay i know you have strong feelings about this one coffee (laughs) overrated or underrated oh i feel like it's underrated (laughs) i feel so sad saying it because i'm like a victim to coffee i dream wise i do want to say it's overrated but i don't want to overrate myself so that's why i'm saying it's underrated because (laughs) i drink coffee daily I do not. I drink coffee. I coffee is a tool for me. Coffee is used for for last resort energy. So, um, coffee to me is wildly overrated. I think most like socially acceptable stimulants or depressants are <laughs> overrated. I'm not much of. I'm not much for weed or alcohol oh, yeah. either. I'm pretty like sober on all counts mm-hmm. in terms of perception altering like substances <laughs> which i would consider coffee a part of we have all collectively accepted yeah. that it is okay to be addicted to this one substance yeah. and i think that is crazy yeah no yeah and no one kind of bats an eye about it but i was like yeah it's so underrated because i'm a victim to it but also mm. like coffee just like coffee kind of sets my mood for the day where I'm like, oh, if it's going to be a chill day, I will start the day off with an iced coffee. But if it's going to be like an aggressively active day, I'm like hot coffee. I have to start with hot coffee. Uh, That is not to say that if you are a person who enjoys a good coffee, that is like different to me. (laughs) Like (laughs) coffee as an addiction is overrated. um, You're okay with the coffee snobs. But not the basic I'm coffee okay. girls. I'm okay that if you if it's like your thing, uh-huh. right? Like if you really like coffee and it, like you enjoy it and you like seek out good coffee yeah. and you like make it a process and you love it. <laughs> like I'm not knocking that. I'm knocking everybody else. You know, uh, you know what this kind of supports, like the characteristic that I know of you is that it's a thing. It just has to be a thing. I, I'm very much a, a believer in like a deliberate. You need to if you if you are doing something, it needs to be a thing. Like deliberate. <laughs> if you like clothes, you have to understand clothes. If you like coffee, you have to understand coffee. <laughs> and I guess it sounds like gatekeepy, like gatekeep gaslight girl boss, but I, it just seems like if you're going to do, if you're going to spend that much effort, time, finance doing something, mm-hmm. you might as well like know it. Okay. <laughs> Or before we even ask this one, I'm like, are you the type of person where if you start a book, you have to finish that book? I, I like, it eats at me. I usually don't because I'm human. Mm-hmm. I, I said this to my friend yesterday while I was hanging out. I have accepted. I'm giving myself the grace to accept the fact that I do not like to read. And I'm going to be okay with that. I'm not going to beat myself up and think that I'm a lesser human being because I don't like to read. I like to listen. I like to watch. But I do not like to read and that's okay. This is a support group for me now. <laughs> when it comes to stuff like music, video games, I have the desire to finish things. Mm-hmm. I don't like to just like do things halfway. Mm-hmm. But I think the nature of gaming is that like most people just have a backlog. Yeah. 
I think mine is smaller than most, mm -hmm. so I, I appreciate that about myself. And it usually I'll come back to things after like two or three years. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm the same with you and books. I just have like multiple books that I've started. I haven't mm. finished it, but I like remember, you know, where I last left off on them. Um, and I was like, yeah, I guess like while we're being a little basic about coffee, Calvin, um, how do you feel about Helvetica? It's only basic because we lived through that era where everybody was obsessed with Helvetica. Mm -hmm. There was some, something happened between 2011 to 2016 where it was just every, it was everybody's every designer's personality mm -hmm. was Helvetica. Mm -hmm. And now it's not anymore. So we can say that it's underrated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if, if you had asked us this question five years ago, it would have been wildly Oh, yeah. So I agree with you. And I'm glad that you got the years right, too. I was about to say, like, maybe, like, 2010. <laughs> but I realized I didn't graduate uh, high school yet. But I was like, oh, yeah, I remember a good phase on, like, Helvetica everywhere. And especially, like, tightly current Helvetica was definitely a thing, too, if you're pushing it. I think the new basic bitch is um, Times New Roman. Like bold. Uh, is it Times New Roman or is it Baskerville? Both of them. Baskerville, Garamond. Yeah, yeah, I think that that set is definitely a very basic bitch now, which I uh, try to avoid. But we did have one project that requested uh, Bodoni, which you know I'm not like. Oh, I'm not. Bodoni is nice. Bodoni is nice. Yeah. Oh, Bodoni used to be like very overrated too, where it was like, mm. if you were gonna be minimalistic, you were going down Helvetica, and if you wanted to be like editorial, you were gonna use Bodoni. Here's what I think. I think that Helvetica is vanilla ice cream. Yeah, that's a good that's a and good like, way to no say it. No matter what, no matter what, vanilla will always be a good flavor. Mm -hmm. And maybe like Helvetica new. Yeah, Helvetica new. Yeah. Noya is vanilla bean. Like yeah, a little, a little yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god, this was so amazing. This is really great, actually. That's the the best way to compare it. Yeah. You'll you'll come back to vanilla. Vanilla has its place mm -hmm. on like you know on pie on on the things, yeah. and it's not gonna be for everybody, and it's not gonna be on everything. Mm -hmm. But it, it is. You need to you need to respect the the hustle yeah. Yeah. of vanilla ice oh, cream. Yeah. <laughs> this last one is gonna be very near and dear to both of us. So freelancing. Mm -hmm. Do you think freelancing is underrated or overrated? I think freelancing is underrated because I think it gets written off as like they didn't get hired. Mm, they couldn't kick it. Yeah, they couldn't really get into like the real world. So they're like trying to make a new world type of thing. And like they don't know what mm. they're doing. Like there's this weird, I guess, like laziness association with freelancing where it's like you are irresponsible. You get to like make your own schedule. Like there's definitely this weird glamorized thing that like makes it feel like not a real job, you know? And I think like freelancing is insanely hard. Uh, and even like as we do it, as we continue to do it, it's still insanely hard. It's such like an upward battle that when you feel like you finally figured it out, like a whole new game changes. And especially with different markets changing and different things changing, it's so underrated by like how tough and how like strategic and rigorous it is. Um, I, I think everything that you said is true, but I also feel like there is this big group of people that really, really glamorize freelancing. Mm -hmm. It might just be maybe if you're at a like more senior level, it's like, oh, freelancing is for people who couldn't cut it. Mm -hmm. But for like that lower group and for the students, I think there is this like big culture around like, ah, oh, that sounds yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, and especially because there is this community of design influencers that make it look awesome mm -hmm. too. Where it's like, oh yeah, like own schedule, 
so much creativity, mm -hmm. all these projects, I get to work with cool people. Mm -hmm. It paints this picture that freelancing is like the best lifestyle for like a young designer. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's overrated. Yeah, that's, I agree um, with because, that. Because like you said, because it is hard mm -hmm. and because it's not for everybody too. Yeah. Like having to find your meal yeah. is yeah. not for everybody. <laughs> My eyes got really big because it's that's literally how I think about it sometimes when I'm like, we're finding our meal this month. Like, what are we eating this month? <laughs> you know, so that's uh, that, that's definitely a thing. I think freelancing is a lot easier if you've been in a professional setting because you need to understand mm. what the systems are to be able to navigate mm. it. If you don't know what the systems are, like I'm not saying you have to follow the systems. I'm saying you just need to know what they are, what the processes yeah. are. Because there's a reason why those systems are in place is because it's working for certain companies and certain people to maintain the position that they have. In the limited design like schooling that I've had, um, one thing that I had learned was like, you need to understand what the rules are before you break mm -hmm. them. Because if you break the rules without knowing what they are, it just looks like you don't know what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> but if totally. you know what you're doing and you're like deliberate about, you know, subverting the expectation mm -hmm. or creating something that like accomplishes the same goals, but in a different way, mm -hmm. like that is what good design is. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with freelancing. Like you need to know what the system is like so that you can be a better freelancer and a better designer yeah. as opposed to like, this carefree just, lifestyle just yeah. being unprofessional yeah 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 like i think the biggest one especially if you're going to go into freelancing go into an agency that ha kind of has the clients you want to work with or it has like the intense professionalism you need to understand and that could even be instead of applying for a designer it could definitely be like applying for a production artist role or applying for a studio manager role because Mm -hmm. Your goal isn't to move up in the company. Your goal is to understand how the company functions. I was like, are those all our hot takes, Calvin? Or do you have thoughts yeah. about freelancing? No, I think that's that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, everybody, for stopping by. Really appreciate uh, you listening to our podcast. This was definitely a very, I think it was a very fun, casual one instead of like a super serious topic all the time. Uh, if you want to catch, though, our super serious topics, you can find those on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We also post the newsletter every time we release a new episode and highlight a artist that we know mm -hmm. through the newsletter. So for these couple of months, it's going to be Angela Wynn mm -hmm. or at Lemon Pup. Is it Lemon Dot Pup? Le yeah, it's Lemon Dot Pup. She, pup, sorry, like pup as in puppy. And Angela mm -hmm. also makes these like really beautiful, wonderful, like these little key caps. Yeah, key caps. yeah for mechanical keyboards. Mm -hmm. If you want to sign up for the newsletter, just go on our website, studiodbj.com, scroll a little bit, and you'll get an opt-in for the newsletter. But yeah, otherwise, thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, we really appreciate it, and we'll catch you next month. Yeah. Bye. Bye.